if your brain has seen something or experienced it through mental rehearsal, then when it comes across something similar in real life, it's less threatening. So uncertainty is the most threatening thing to your brain. Anything new is a huge threat to your brain. That's the voice of Dr. Tara Swart, and she'll be giving us some pragmatic neuroscience-based messages that'll change the way we live and work on today's Super You podcast. So without further ado, let's go, go, go. That's one small step for man. Lift off. We, we have a lift off. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are hard. I have a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome to today's Super You Podcast. I am your host, Eric Quammen. A lot of you know me as Equal Man. Today, our guest, who we have on the show that's going to give us some great advice, is Dr. Tara Swart. If you haven't heard of her, she's a neuroscientist, medical doctor, executive advisor, senior lecturer at MIT Sloan, and author of the bestseller, The Source. Now, that book, The Source, has been translated into 38 global territories. Now, Tara is really passionate about giving simple pragmatic neuroscience, because neuroscience can get complicated very quickly, neuroscience-based messages that change the way people live and work. So that's what we're hoping on today's show. We're going to get some tips and tricks on how the brain works so that we can use that on a day-to-day level to make our lives a little easier and also work a little easier. Uh, She personally advises a small number of executives via personal recommendation only and speaks at major conferences globally. Speaking of global, our sponsor today is Amazon Prime. I don't know how I lived without Amazon Prime, but I've been having it since it launched. And if you haven't used Amazon Prime, you're only one of 20% that don't use it. So it's really about they keep adding stuff each and every day. Now you can use Amazon Prime Music. You can watch some shows for free also too. So to augment that Disney Plus in Netflix subscription that I'm sure you're subscribing to, go and check out Amazon Prime. It's not just for delivering stuff to your home, which we know is wonderful. But they keep increasing the offerings for what you're already paying on Amazon Prime. So go and check it out today. It is what they call a no-brainer. Speaking of brains, we're going to get into it now with neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart. All right, let's not ease into this neuroplasticity. Uh, the easiest way for me to remember it is that I can remember some person's name from yesterday. It seems like I'm getting worse and worse at remembering people's names. But neuroplasticity, what's an example or how would you define that? An example of neuroplasticity that I would share with, with, with you, with our listeners, is gratitude lists. So for years in my journaling, I would write 10 things I'm grateful for every day. And they were always external things, friends, family, travel, you know, um, financial freedom, whatever. And I literally just got bored of writing the same things. So I thought, okay, what, what else could I write? So I started writing things like my creativity, my vulnerability, my resilience, internal things. And that was a real game changer. It made me think that whatever life throws at me, I've got the tools and resources within me to deal with it. Um, and, and I didn't always have, you know, in my 20s, I wouldn't say I was very emotionally regulated. <laughs> um, but learning that whatever happens, the, the sort of the pendulum swing for your emotions, the higher it goes, the lower it goes as well. And, and bringing that to like parameters that you're comfortable with, that gives you sort of 
autonomy and agency in life. Um, and, and again, that's the thing I love about neuroplasticity. Now, I know you're a big fan of abundance thinking, or you tell your clients to think of the world around you as a world of abundance. Can you unwrap that a little bit more for our listeners here today, please? Abundance is basically about thinking positively. It's about believing that the world is a good place, that there's enough out there for everyone, that we're not in competition for resources, and that if somebody else does well, that doesn't mean badly for us. That if we give something to someone or help someone with something that that's a good thing that it generates more positivity and that somehow, you know, in the, that, that will come back to you at some point. And interestingly, it um, correlates to the strongest gearing of the brain that we have for our survival as a species, which is called loss aversion. So um, that means that the psychological effect of avoiding loss is about twice as powerful as the psychological effect of the equivalent gain or reward. And the easiest way to explain that is um, if you walked from the parking lot to your studio this morning and you found $50 on the floor on your way in, you'd be probably pleasantly surprised that you found $50. You might keep it. You might give it to charity. Um, but by the time you, you know, you're in the studio and you've started thinking about recording, you would have forgotten about that $50. If you walked from your car across the parking lot and realized by the time you got to the studio that you'd lost $50 out of your pocket, you'd be mad at yourself. You'd go back out to the, the parking lot to see if you could find it. You might even go back out there more than once to check. And you might still be thinking about that at the end of the day. So that's just an example of how the same loss or gain has more powerful effect if we lose. And so psychologically, um, Anything like feeling excluded or isolated or treated unfairly or feeling like you don't have the same opportunities as somebody else has that really strong effect on your on your brain. Um, and so we have to work doubly hard to go against that because it is something that helped us to survive in evolution. But it's I was going to say it's not helpful in the modern world. But to be honest, I will say it's not a way to live a life. Um, you know, it's a very because I believe the way you think determines your life. If you believe that everybody's out there in competition, there isn't enough out there for everyone that you've got to like fight to get your bit. That would just be such a sad way to live. In life, we often work off negative and positive motivators. Uh, which one's better? A strong negative motivator gets us into action. Sometimes a, a really strong positive one will do that too, but not as strongly as a negative motivator. So I'm thinking, for example, when I had my wedding come up and I wanted to look a certain way and for the whole wedding to feel a certain way, I did a lot of things I wouldn't normally do to try to make sure that happened, but that was unusual. And I remember thinking then, okay, this is a really positive motivator, but most of the time we do things to avoid a perceived loss or we do things because things have gone wrong for us and we need to try to make it better. And actually that is very explained by science because one of the strongest gearings of our brain from evolution is called loss avoidance. And the brain is two to two and a half times as primed to avoid loss as it is to get a reward. One of my goals this year was to be more present, to be more intentional with everything I did. Every day that I approached, I wanted to be more intentional. 
How important is being present and being intentional? How important is that? Sort of the intentionality of what you do. So you can do the same thing. Like, okay, so intermittent fasting is a great example. There's a huge difference between people who say, oh, I forget to eat breakfast and people who eat like me, which is only between 12 noon and 8 p.m. every day because of the intention. It actually has a different effect on your body. Yeah. I won't go so far as to say it's burning more or you're losing more weight, but there's, so again, in neuroscience, there's a difference between um, intentional mind wandering and just slipping off into daydreaming. And so if you Mm. slip off into daydreaming, that means your attention isn't the best. And it's actually kind of a bad sign in terms of your focus and your concentration. But if you intentionally let your mind wander, then actually that leads to more creative thinking. The world's obviously come a long way. We think about chat, GBT, and artificial intelligence. The world's come a long way since uh, us as cavemen, cavewomen. It used to be a lot of worry. Our brain really focused on physical threats. Saber-toothed tiger might eat us. Woolly mammoth might step on us. And now it's adjusted to this hyper-connected world. This digital era is more around that psychological threats. You think about teen suicide, especially in girls, way up. And part of that's because of social media. Thank you, Mr. Zuckerberg. But walk us through that distinction and what we need to know. Threats have changed from physical to psychological or social. Um, although that threat also existed because we could only really thrive as part of a tribe in the cave. And that was literally for physical warmth as well as affection and you know, looking after each other's children and sharing responsibilities. Now, there aren't as many, any, in that way anyway, physical threats to our, sa- our safety or our life. But the social threat of being rejected, being lonely, being abandoned, um, that's still very, very strong in our wiring. Um, and then other things, because obviously now we have money, for example, that the idea of losing your job, losing your lifestyle, those have become, you know, sort of potential social threats to your safety as well. And, you know, there's so many more. But I would say that financial and relational have become the biggest threats to our safety. So, I think obvious examples of that are staying in a relationship where you're not really happy, but you think, well, it's better than being single again, kind of thing. Um, and because that wiring has been there for so long, and of course, in Lacey's work, she talks about wiring that has been there since childhood for us as individuals. And we have, you know, made it very clear that the longer an issue has been there, the harder it is to um, bring it from subconscious to conscious and then deal with it. This is even beyond that. This is for generations and millennia. So it's a very strong default. And it, it's really every decision that you make is based on, is the world a safe place? Can I do this and still be healthy and happy? And you mentioned a specific, which is not watching the news. Well, I don't know any neuroscientist that I'm friends with who watches the news. And, and that's the reason because because we're wired to default to loss aversion, if we continually tell our brain that there's danger out there, there's bad people out there, there's accidents out there, you will not want to take the healthy risks that you could to make your life better because you're too aware of the possible dangers. Nobody likes change. We don't like to move. 
if we're at work, a lot of times we don't take action because we're afraid to fail. It's something new. We don't want to try it. And so uncertainty often is the biggest threat that our brain perceives. So if you don't mind, in simple terms, uh, for me especially, in simple terms, if you can unpack that crossroad between neuroplasticity and uncertainty. If your brain has seen something or experienced it through mental rehearsal, then when it comes across something similar in real life, it's less threatening. So uncertainty is the most threatening thing to your brain. Anything new is a huge threat to your brain, mm. which is kind of counter to neuroplasticity, right? Because with neuroplasticity, I make myself do something new every year. So I've learned several languages. Really? Um, yeah, so during the pandemic, I, I actually made a statement in the beginning, which was, don't put necessarily put pressure on yourself to like start a new career or learn a language. Mm. Then it went on for longer than we all thought it would. Um, so I was actually on an Instagram live saying that I'd always wanted to learn the piano. And somebody sent me a DM and said, Dr. Tara, you can use the Floki app to teach yourself piano. It's a really, really cool app. And um, I'd been gifted a piano keyboard for Christmas by my husband, I, I am ashamed to say a year or two earlier and never used it. Um, so in the pandemic, I did, I did use the Floki app and teach myself. Um, mm. My husband gave me tennis lessons. And then I thought, okay, if I can learn piano, and I can learn tennis, and I can see how much I improve, and I can see the muscle memory from when I played tennis from when you know, I was at, at high school, can I apply that to looking at life through a happier lens. So it's a natural default for all of us to, you know, loss aversion is one of the biggest gearings of the brain and it's essential to survival. Yeah, so avoiding loss and uncertainty. Like I said, we don't like that. So we like things to be safe. We like them to be the same. You know, we like to know what's going to happen. And, and equally, we, you know, the brain wants to look out for danger to protect us. And during the pandemic, I'd been speaking for a few years about having a sabbatical. And a few people said to me, oh, now you can have a sabbatical. And I said, you know, I'm locked up at home. I can't travel. I can't see my friends. I can't hug my stepson. It's not a sabbatical. It's not the sabbatical I dreamed of. And also the mental health requirements were so vast that I felt I had to do my piece and really, you know, speak to that through Instagram, through Zoom, and try to help people. So I was actually busier with work. <laughs> but I did start, you know, I saw a lot of relationship breakups. I saw a lot of people get sick. You know, a lot of people that I personally knew died during the pandemic. And it was easy to start to feel like, to focus on things like, you can't see people, you can't travel. And I didn't... I didn't want to see myself go down that road. Mm. So I actually, I got a coach, you know, I believe in having therapy, having coaching, yeah. having supervision. Um, and I worked on, on that. And she actually said to me, why can't you apply neuroplasticity to being happier? And because it's intangible, it's, you know, you can make a vision board with a house mm. and, you know, a, a dream holiday and vacation right. and all that. I think there are, and that's why imagery is important, because it can evoke a feeling. Um, but I remember the moment I was standing sort of at the door to my garden and a really small, nice thing had happened. And I thought, isn't that lovely? And, and I, I actually checked myself and I thought, 
I notice when something goes wrong all the time. I don't always acknowledge when something goes right or is really good and happy. And so I could tell that I had, ch- I had changed, that mm. I was noticing those things. We've developed an appreciation for things that we may have taken for granted before. So I have been um, in lockdowns, I've been with one other person and it has certainly made me think at first I was like, well, if I'd been on my own, I would have been fine. But as the months drag on and as it happens again and again, I just, my heart just is so out there for people who've been through that on their own, that that is not a healthy state for us. And so a lot of the work I've done in the last year is to encourage people to bathe rather than shower because immersing yourself in warm water releases the same bonding hormones that you get from physical affection from a loved one, to massage your own body, to do gratitude practices that involve self-touch. So a lot more, you know, being a lot more proactive about the fact that you maybe have been isolated alone, but also even with one affectionate person or, you know, two or three affectionate people in your family, it's normal in a day to go out and shake hands or hug or kiss like eight to 12 people. And So that happens and you don't even really think about it. And they say that you need eight hugs a day just to sort of stay mentally stable and 20 hugs a day to grow as a, you know, as a person who feels healthy and happy and they can take some risks. So I think suddenly demanding 20 hugs a day from one person is probably, you know. (laughs) Uh, Agreed. I definitely wouldn't recommend hugging someone 20 times or requesting hugs from the same person 20 times, but I'm a big hugger, big high fiver. There's that oxytocin transfer. And we learned anything from the pandemic is that we love that human connection. Obviously, make sure use your EQ, not my initials, but emotional intelligence to read the other person. Not everyone likes to be hugged. That's why some conferences now they've got a red, yellow, and green badges. I'm not kidding you. So red means I'm not a big hugger. Give me my space. Yellow means medium. And green is all in. High five, handshakes, get in here for those hugs. So I'm a big green guy with my glasses, but also green when it comes to those hugs. So definitely keep hugging me on social and if you see me in person. Uh, But big hugs go out to our team here that make this all possible, this podcast all possible. Big hugs to Jake Brin, Maritza Gutierrez, and also Kelsey Gomez. And until next week, this is your host, Eric Qualman. Most of you know me as Equal Man. Reminding you, give out those hugs for people that want them. And remember, it's not what we take from the world, it's what we leave behind. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 super you. Super.